We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, joined by friend of the podcast, Andy Martino. Andy, welcome back. Hey, Andrew. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Of course. Always fun to talk to you. Um, for a while, this baseball season, the Yankees and the Mets were, were ruling the baseball worlds. You know, through the first half of the season, it looked like we were on track for a Subway series. Things have changed in the last uh, month to two months. What are what are your thoughts on on I guess the season overall so far for those two teams? Yeah, stumbling to the finish line in both cases a bit. Although it changes day to day or week to week, weekend to weekend. I, the Mets looked great a few days ago. As as we tape this, they've just lost two in a row to the lowly Cubs. I actually think bouncing back and forth between the two teams, Andrew. I mean, first of all, you never know what's going to happen in the postseason. Obviously, baseball makes no sense. Predicting is a fool's errand. But as of today, it's one of the first times that I can ever remember covering the Yankees and the Mets where it does feel like the Mets are on more solid ground right now than the Yankees. Uh, just for right now, for this season, I just think their problems are less severe. I think when Mets fans get all stressed about their offense having uh, a bad day or even a bad series, I'm like, guys, have you watched the Yankees in the second half of this year? <laughs> so, I, I it, it again... You could baseball's unpredictable enough where you could drop the Royals in the postseason and they might win a round or two just because baseball makes no sense. So I'm not saying who's 
better equipped for an October run. I'm just saying that I feel that right now the Yankees' problems run deeper. It has a a lot to do with injuries in in their defense, but it has to do with other stuff too, which I'm sure you guys have seen and agonized over. Um, so that's what I'm seeing right now is that they both look like world beaters for a while early on, like you said, Andrew. But uh, now I would be I would be a little bit more concerned about the Yankees side. It was glaringly obvious when last week against the Twins, they trotted out a lineup of Aaron Judge and the Scranton Rail Riders. <laughs> that's basically what the lineup was. I mean, they still won that series against the Twins because I don't know, the Twins just cannot beat the Yankees for yeah. whatever reason. But yeah, it, it, they, they certainly have their sh- fair share of problems. When you say the Mets are on more solid ground, I think it's interesting because I also feel, and you know, this is from a Yankees fan outside Mets, uh, outside outsider to the Mets, but I have some Mets friends and, and I'm getting this vibe from them. For the first time in a long time, they also have a solid foundation in ownership and manager, which has not been the case for a long time. So even when they've had a good team on the field, there's always been that cloud hanging over the Mets. It's like something's going to happen here because we don't have that owner and manager that we can fully trust. But this year with Cohen and Showalter, I feel like it's finally falling into place. And Sandy Alderson, I think, in that president role has been good. They've out- Mets have come a long way in the past two years in establishing a foundation for what's to come. But again, these narratives can come and go. We were having this conversation a year ago. You had the First two GMs under the new regime uh, sure. let go for personal off-the-field reasons. Uh, you had Javi Baez and Lindor giving the fans a thumbs down. So it's been a great year for the Mets. but uh, And they're, they're in good shape. Look, going forward, they're going to outspend the Yankees, I think, regularly. Uh, and, and that's something that is going to take some getting used to in New York for sure. So, yeah, there are definitely a lot of positive things that have happened for them overall. Uh, but, again... You never know. They've had a lot of things that have gone right for them this year. Nation has lost to free agency. You just you have no idea how things are going to break from one year to the next for, for them or for any team. Uh, but definitely Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson and Billy Epler this year have brought stability. Uh, Buck Showalter, too, although I think Luis Rojas was an underrated manager for them. But Buck, Buck's been terrific as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, it will be interesting with the Yankees. Like you mentioned the Mets outspending them. I think a lot of Yankees fans have come to grips with that. And, um, I guess a lot will depend on what happens with judge in the off season. If he signs with the giants or the, you know, you know, the Dodgers or something for, for more money than the Yankees offer him, people are going to be pissed rightfully. So he's, he's by far and away their, their best player. So I, I think a lot will depend on that. I don't see the Yankees letting him walk because I, I, I just don't think they could swallow that PR hit. But it'll be interesting if the Yankees do fizzle out this year after it being so good in the first half, what the reaction will be towards Hal for the maybe not spending all that he could and for Cashman for the moves he made at the deadline and obviously for Boone, I think... I've said this on the show, a dog could have managed the first half Yankees. They were getting seven innings out of their starting pitching. Their bullpen was elite and their offense was scoring six runs a game. It's like, it's hard to lose games that way. So I think those three pieces will have a lot of questions if the Yankees fizzle out in the playoffs yet again. In terms of whether they'll be back, the team leadership? Well, I mean, Hal's not going anywhere, obviously. Um, well, right. But aside from, you know, he'll have decisions to make. I, I don't think it's a sure thing that Brian Cashman's back. That's what I'm year. saying. I know it's not a sure thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not trying to create a big 
story by saying, ooh, Cashman might not be back. I'm just saying he's not under contract. Right. I talk to people in that organization all the time that are relevant to this decision, and there have been no discussions. If there's been a decision, it's been made very privately with Hal and his siblings, and it hasn't been shared outside that circle. Uh, I think that you have to consider it more likely than not that they'll bring back Cashman because that's what he's always done. And how I, I, I understand this is a point that's contrary to uh, critiques of Cashman that are valid in the, that are more um, like, like micro things or, or, or specific things to a particular season, a particular trade deadline. But Hal knows that his franchise hasn't had a losing record since 1992, right? 92 or 93. Yeah. And no other team. The Cardinals, so that's 30 winning seasons. The Cardinals have had 14, about to clinch 15, I believe. So making a change is something that they'd have to do very, very carefully. Like, can we find someone else that's going to bring us that kind of historic run of success uh, year in and year out? Uh, having said all that, look, I think you, if you blow a 15-and-a-half game lead in the division, all bets are off. Looks like that's not going to happen. So, but but like... But what happens if you lose in the first round of the playoffs? Like, I, fine, you 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 somehow stumble your way to the division. It's hard to blow a 15-game lead. So, fine, yeah. you clinch the division. But you had a 720 winning percentage at one point deep into this season. If you yeah. get bounced in the first round yet again, I'm sorry. There's no difference between that and blowing the division in my mind. Uh, that's fair critique, and I'm sure most fans will feel that way. I think if you're making the decision of who's going to run the team, Boy, there's just it's more than just figurehead Cashman. So Hal would have to decide. First of all, the qu- number one question would be who's out there available that's better. Um, that's always the question anytime you're, you're firing anybody, right? And who who can you actually get this off season that's better? And second, are you replacing the entire infrastructure that they've built up? Are you promoting from within? And if you're promoting from within, what's the point of change? Uh, if you're, it's just not as simple as Cashman, right? You've got Michael Fishman and his huge analytics department. You've got uh, Tim Nearing. You've got the pro scouts. You've got Gene Afterman. You've got the whole infrastructure. So are you firing everybody and trying to build a whole new front office in a month to get ready for the offseason? Uh, these are the questions that Hal has to ask himself. And it's not as easy as, as just cutting off the head you've got the whole rest of the body like to, to worry about with that front office you know and it's just runs so deep that's a completely fair point it getting rid of cashman if you're not if you're not going to go outside going outside of the organization to replace cashman is basically hitting the reset button on everything and i don't know that the yankees are prepared to do that with the current roster they have assuming judge is back if judge isn't back i don't know really what this team can do next year i mean he's that important to this um so i think uh you know i'm putting a lot of uh stock into what happens with um with judge in the offseason but it's interesting because you you you, your point on they haven't had a losing season since the early 90s I, i do believe that is hal steinbrenner's you know thinking is that we're this sounds like one of these like fan overreactions. It's like we're we're fine competing, we're fine making the playoffs, but we're not going to do everything in our power to win a championship. And I know that's a cliche, and I know people love to say the old boss would have gone, you know, made changes, and all he wanted to do was win a championship. 
but but I can honestly say, having followed this team day in and day out for the last 20 years and seeing the last 10 years of Hal, I do truly believe he's more concerned with running a stable and competitive organization than he is building a championship team. Now, that might be unfair. You're closer to the team. Plenty of people are closer to the team than I am. But that's the that's my opinion. Well, you're entitled to it, and I'm not inside his head, and uh, I I that I can't personally speak to that. I will say this: uh, the you know I was thinking about this. It's relevant to the Derek Jeter ceremony with the core four on the field uh, last Friday because I was thinking that Derek Jeter is the last Yankee icon who will have. Um, had a championship run like that, multiple championships in a row of the run that started with like Ruth and Gary. I think Jeter's the last because no team has won consecutive, as you well know, no team has won consecutive uh, championships since the 2000 Yankees. Uh, I think it's just such a different game with the expanded wild cards being the primary reason that I just think that, you know, when the Yankees here, you haven't won a championship since 09. They say, and the White Sox haven't since 05. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, like, why, why are you talking about us? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's this, it, and it's a shame. It's almost like, so, so it's like Jeter comes from a different century, like literally and metaphorically. And it's just, they're trying, I, I do believe they're trying to win championships. I know. And I know you do too. Uh, I also believe that inside any organization, the dirty secret is that if you're in contention every year, that's more profitable and um better as in your biz for your business than necessarily like going all in but the yankees vehemently argue that they're in a top the top three payroll this year i think they're third at the moment no one wants to hear them talk about the top three payroll though because you want to be number one it's not even that i care or i don't care if they're number one it's i care that they will make the right financial decisions for the team. And if that means being number one, then be number one. If that means being number seven, be number seven. So that, that that's really my standpoint. And I just think there's some moves that they've made, uh, especially in this off season where they did add payroll. It was just like kind of mm-hmm. questionable where they added payroll and where they chose not to add payroll. So are you questioning whether they're trying to win a championship or are you questioning the decisions that they make to that end? Yeah, more the decisions. I do believe right. they're trying to win a championship. I, I'm not sitting here like naively saying that brian cashman is trying to throw like by by making no, i know I, i'm not taking it that way but in terms of the organization it's yeah. like you have every right of course as do i to criticize like a move or a, a group of moves or a strategy and we have, and you have every right to criticize anything they do of course i just think that um they're trying to win they haven't succeeded obviously in quite a while to win a championship but uh that's the game today no one else has. And I don't think the Yankees will ever, ever, ever again have a run like they did in the 70s and 90s. It's You're right. It's unrealistic. I guess the closest thing in, in recent is the early uh, ten, 2010s Giants, Giants. But they went yeah. every other year. They, they they missed the playoffs in between those championships. Yeah. So like, if you're thinking about like a team icon, Buster Posey winning those three championships for the Giants is probably probably the closest thing. Yeah, and for the Giants fans, I'm sure it's equal to how Yankee fans think of Jeter. Um, and the Giants of that, it's a great point, because the Giants of that era are the best argument against what I just said, that dynasties are essentially over. Because that's you could consider that a dynasty, probably. 
Um, it depends who you're arguing but, with on Twitter. <laughs> sure, uh, which I recommend against in every case. Uh, but they uh, they were able to accomplish those three championships, of course. Um, someone will win back-to-back at some point. It's not like it's never going to happen again. Uh, but I just think what the Yankees did during that time was so special. and In the 90s, I mean. And there are so many more teams in the playoffs just ex- like ever right. increasingly uh, that it's just such a meat grinder to get through. I mean, you look at teams that seemed like dynasty-esque recently, like the forget cheating for a second, the Astros, yep. right, one World Series. Look at the Dodgers. It's funny because c- covering the Mets, they want to be the East Coast Dodgers. For all their success, yep. the Dodgers only won one bullshit uh, <laughs> pandemic World Series. That might change in a month or so, you know. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the Do- what if you're a Dodger fan? Are you happy with the last decade? Probably, but it, you might have the same complaint in a way. Yeah. Um, I guess if you're the uh, Yankees fan and like someone's saying, well, the Dodgers only have one uh, bullshit championship, but you look at what they do with their roster and they spend, then they spend and they spend and they seemingly don't have any shortage of young talent coming through that system. Mm -hmm. And they'll go out and they'll sign Freddie Freeman. They'll give Mookie Betts exactly what he's worth on the open market. And they do all those things. And then if you're a Yankees fan, you say, well, why aren't you doing those things as well? Because this organization is more than capable of doing it. This is what I think. I think that the Yankees are going to win championships once in a while from now on. I think that the planet will die and none of it will matter eventually. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> well, then what, what the fuck are we doing here then? <laughs> like, I mean, this, no. is, this is what we talk about. This is what we I choose think, to occupy know, know, our I time think, with. I think we have... I think we have an existential kind of change in what's in, in in the game and how hard it is to win championships. And I think that there's absolutely no problem with uh, as a fan or even as an owner wondering what the Yankees would look like under a different structure leadership after all these years. But um, if if you're actually making the decision, going back to what I started this with, with what what would be better? And I know you're like, well, I don't know. I want to like in some ways. That shuts down the conversation. Well, what would be better? I don't know. Go find something better if you're hell. But this has been pretty good. I, I really think that the 30-year streak of winning of well, Brian Cashman's been there is remarkable. And I'll tell you, when I talk to – I think part of the reason, Andrew, uh, here's a point I'll make that maybe isn't made enough. Part of the reason why there seems to be some disconnect between media and Yankee fans about Cashman um, is that when we talk to our contacts in the game, like other GMs, uh, they speak of Cashman as one of the greatest executives in the history of the sport. That's how his peers look at him. Up there with um, Branch Rickey and Pat Gillick and John Sherholtz. And, I mean, he is on the Mount Rushmore of Hall of Fame exec- GMs. That's in, And so when... So I'm saying that's what we hear. Uh, that's how Billy Bean or uh, um, Theo, anyone would talk about Cashman, Theo Epstein. And so um, then when it gets into like, why does the media, I'm trying to like kind of deconstruct this a little bit. When it gets into fan, Yankee fans going, why does the media um, seemingly protect Cashman when we're so mad and da, da, da. I think maybe part of it is we're hearing from people who know more baseball than we do this unbelievable reverence for 
for Brian Cashman as a GM from his from his peers. So that that sort of forms our perspective a little bit. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they have such a reverence for him? Because they know how hard it is to have a winning season. So to look at 30 is, I mean, I know he wasn't the GM in 93, but he was really in the inner circle by then. Uh, they look at that with awe and reverence. They look at the fact that he works in a market where you can never tank. The, one of the easiest jobs in sports is it being a GM for a team that doesn't have to win for five years. Yeah. Uh, he, he, they, other GMs look at that and they go, he doesn't have that luxury. They look at uh, the the championships. I mean, the fact that he does have I mean, those championships. And, and, and they look at it and they say, well, Bob Watson, well, Gene Michael. It's like by the early 90s, Cashman was part of the very small circle of Gene Michael's front office. So his competitors know that. Yeah. And they also look at things like how difficult he is to deal with on trades. They respect how honest he is and stand up in their view yeah. and dealing with him. So there's a personal component to that, too. He's highly respected as a person. But uh, the work that he does, um, those are some of the reasons. It's the market. It's the streak of winning. It's the championships. It's the lack of ability to rebuild. It's the fan and media pressure that are unique to New York. Uh, and all those things that he's navigated, uh, that's why we here in doing our work and talking to baseball sources, this high level of, as I said, reverence for Brian Cashman. And I have to. That's just, just something I'm reporting back to you, not sure. I'm expressing my own opinion. And I, I think there's there's a lot of – you have to put a lot of weight into those opinions from those those people who are experts in that field. I look at – so ahead of this trade deadline, we called it – this is Brian Cashman's most important trade deadline because the team mm -hmm. was having such a good first half. and But they did also have glaring holes that needed to be filled. And we thought at the deadline they did address those. Benintendi was a fantastic acquisition for left field. Thought Montes was a good addition to the starting rotation. Those those were the two number one and two things. He yeah. also got some bullpen arms to to deal with some injuries and and you know et cetera. So far, those moves have not worked out for one reason or the other. You know you can't blame Cashman for for Benintendi's injury, but like if we are going to judge this season and what Cashman did with a championship caliber roster at the midway point. To where mm -hmm. it is now and where it might end up, uh, the criticisms have to be fair, especially when you look at his history of trying to acquire starting pitching, and it's not a really good history. It's really bad. We've gone through it. It's pretty bad. He cannot acquire mm -hmm. starting pitching. Well, I agree that it's at the deadline. I'm with you that I thought they had a really good deadline. So then it becomes harder to feel credible uh, criticizing in retrospect. Um, I will say that, uh, I mean, they, they really made almost all the right moves in the moment. First of all, Efros was one of those really clever Clay Holmes-type pickups and still might be, and then he's shoulder hurt. Like, well, that's just bad. That's bad luck. Or maybe there's a way to have known that ahead of time. I don't know. But that, that was a guy they were on all year as one of their, their pro scouts and their analytics guys working together on targeting some of these relievers. This is one of the things they're really good at. That was good. And attendee, obviously, terrific pickup didn't perform, got hurt. Who could have seen those things coming? Not me. Uh, so it's tough to judge. But the one thing that I felt in retrospect, um, my own personal opinion, a little bit um, hesitant on like my own praise for them. Once I saw Castillo pitch against Cole in that game in Seattle, hmm. 
I was like, oh man, I knew he was a dude already, but I'm like, that's that that's the guy. And uh, I understand it probably would have cost them Volpe and Peraza. Uh, so you could make the argument that they shouldn't have done that. It that's subjective. I was talking to his scout who covers the Yankees in Somerset. I was in Somerset after the trade deadline, and the scout was like, I would have traded Volpe and Peraza for Castillo. I mean, are you trying to win the World Series or not? That's just like a philosophical thing. I really like Peraza, by the way, what I've seen since he's been up. He looks like he's cool. And I've seen um, Volpe and Somerset this year. Like, these, these guys are good, I think. But I don't know. Castillo and Cole at the top of the rotation. That would have helped you win a World Series. Sure. And uh, so that's the one where I was like, Montas is a pretty big drop off from Castillo. And, and that one I question a little. Especially when you start to dive into the Montas trade a little bit more and you look at, okay, he's coming off a shoulder injury and uh, there's certainly risk acquiring. We went back into some quotes that Boone made right after the trade. And he kind of alluded to like, oh, the one hiccup could be he's got a shoulder thing going on. They, they, they were very vague on it. Yeah. But it's like, OK, uh, if Castillo was your plan A and the price was too high and then you moved on to your plan B, but your plan B is got so many red flags. It's like, well, then that's not a very good plan B. And then. Well, there was no one else out there. Right. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think that oh, there's a thought that Oakland rushed Montas back a little early from the IL in order to uh, trade him. Hmm. Do I still have Andrew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're here. Okay, you, your video dropped out. Sorry, I'll start that again. There's a thought that Oakland might have rushed Montas back from the IL a little early in order to be able to trade him, and then he was still working through that uh, when he got to the Yankees, and that's a good pickup on Boone talking about that or, or seeming to reference that. Uh they were in a weird spot once they felt that the price was too high on Castillo because Montas was the, was the second best, I, I believe. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. And so you knew you needed a pitcher. So it's like, all right, fine. And and that's kind of where they ended up. I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong. He's a guy they actually wanted in spring training. Uh, so it's not like he's had a scrap heap or anything, but the, the shoulder did appear to affect him early on. And he... There's been times where you're like, okay, he's starting to put it together as a exactly. Yankee and then goes backward a little bit, as you've seen. So they don't have that lockdown number two for the playoffs that they kind of had hoped to acquire. They don't, I don't, you could argue whether they have the lockdown number one. That was going to be my question. Do they have a lockdown number one? Because as good as Garrett Cole's numbers are, I don't know how many times they have to watch him give up home runs to the Red Sox or give up home runs yeah. to the Astros or, or, I mean, he gave up six home runs to the twins earlier this year. And it's like, I, I know he's their number one pitcher. I know he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I know he's going to be starting game one of the playoffs, whoever they play, but I don't have that same feeling I used to have, like say when Sabathia was starting a playoff game in 2009. I think that Cole's one of the most intelligent, thoughtful pitchers I've ever covered. And that gets in his way sometimes. Uh, he knows when he's making a big start. He knows so much about other pitcher or other hitters' tendencies and weaknesses that sometimes he's like, okay, if I throw him a change up here, if I do this there, his swing path, da da da. It's like, nah, dude, you're Garrett Cole. Throw him the fucking cheese. You know, it's like he, he just overthinks um, sometimes. And but it's a delight as a writer covering him. I've never had a 
I've never met a pitcher who's better to interview about pitching. Um, but I remember after that, remember the game, I think he gave up six runs in the first inning. I must have talked to him for 25 yep. minutes after that game, analyzing yep. every single pitch. Like, oh, if Suarez hadn't been sitting slider, he would have done this. So I should have thrown in the fastball. And then I can't believe I threw Kalnick a changeup. And sometimes you think his stuff is too good for him to have to worry that much uh, and think that much. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 the potential is always there. For him to be that dominant, one of the very best pitchers in baseball, the ace that they need in the playoffs. But I think we have to see it, obviously, after what happened in Fenway in the wildcard game last year. And those are the things that I think that thoughtfulness is part of what makes him great. And it's part of what gets in his way sometimes. And that's that's what I think he has to manage. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to switch gears to to judge. Um, do you think so? What do you consider the home run record? Um, you know, I know this is out of step with my generation, but I, I mean, the home run record seventy three. That's what's in the books. But I, I think that like using steroids is significant. So I, I I don't know what's the home run record. I think the home run record idea of it is so, that. What I think Judge will get to 62, you know, he'll hit 64, 66, whatever it is. Do you think that's going to be a big deal around baseball? Or are, is it because 73 is the record that, or seven, is it 72? See, this is the problem. I don't, exactly. I, the fact I, that you don't know kind of makes my point, right? I legitimately do not know 72 or 73, like gun to my head. I don't know. I'm flipping a coin. And that that's that's the problem. I also don't know how many home runs Bonds ended up with in his career. It's 770 something, right? Or 780 something. I have no Something. clue. The fact that we don't know, I obviously Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth and Roger Maris, those numbers are seared into your brain. So yeah. that kind of answers the question, right? Right. But I, I also know that, and even Judge said this, like the record book says 73. So um, if he hits 66, he's not going to be number one in the record book. But how do you think it will be talked about around baseball? Because 60 home runs still has barely ever happened. And if you remove those seasons, of Maguire and Sosa yeah. and Bonds. No one's done it since Roger Maris. I think it'll be talked about as a major accomplishment, if not a record. I think it's cool that it's happening to a Yankee because the number 61 is obviously a, the bigger Yankee lore at this point than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So that's cool for baseball, that it's a Yankee. Um, that Roger Maris's son might be a Yankee stadium, uh, apparently unhappy, but still there when uh, Judge 
potentially hits his 62nd. I, I think that's that's uh, cool. But as far as how it means in the rest of the game, I think that people think he's the best home run hitter right now and a, an amazing player all around, great hitter. And I don't think that uh, it goes that much further than that because, you know, the record is 73. I think it leads to these irresolvable debates that depend on what one thinks about steroids and blah, 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 ad nauseum. Like, we're all bored with that discussion. But unfortunately, when people start to talk about this, that's the only place the discussion can go. So I think there's a little bit of that, too, that follows this thing with Judge through no fault of his. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking forward to the 66 Billy Crystal movie. That's that's, that's <laughs> going to be a good one. Well, he's found a way to... to milk it this far that'll probably that'll probably happen he's always around he was narrating yeah, throughout the first pitch this year uh, on opening day delayed garrett cole it's a whole speaking it's a of whole things that rattle garrett cole yeah. yeah um i think that um it's really special though for judge and i when i at ballpark when he hit 62 covering it it feels like a big deal maybe just leave it at that yeah and um i mean obviously it's having his best season by far just he single-handedly carried the yankees offense in the second half i don't know where they would be without him i know they still would not be in first place without aaron judge um i i don't know why pitchers yeah. are still pitching to him he's been that good um is there going to be a market for him this offseason for like 10 years like is a team going to give him 10 years and 38 40 million a year that's that's the question i wish i had the answer for you uh i think that that team would be making a, a bad uh, gamble if they did it, if that's what it takes. If you're the Giants, say, and you're like, like the Yankees did with Cole, that's what it would take. Because a team to have a mentality like, okay, whatever, what's it going to take? We'll do it. We'll top all offers. There's no sense yet that a team like that has emerged for Judge. I think the era of analytical front offices makes it a little, little less likely because they all make uh, perhaps more precise like risk calculations now and they all kind of have the same similar risk calculations but if an owner gets involved and says we want to make a if the Johnson family in um, San Francisco says we want to make a big statement and do this and if it's going to take 10 years we'll do it then that's what it's going to take and then I don't think it'll be a Yankee uh, right because that was my next question like I thought they offered him a fair contract before opening day. I didn't like how it all went down, that it happened on the morning of opening day, and then they held a press conference laying out exactly what the contract offer was. Like, come on, you had all of spring training mm -hmm. to do this. Like, why are you doing this right before opening day? But I thought the numbers were right. fair. In hindsight, Judge bet on himself, and he bet right because he's having an, uh, an all-world season. He's moved to center field when the team needed him to move to center field. That number needs to go higher. I do believe the Yankees will go higher than that number, but but like there, I know they have a number in mind, and if it's more than if it's less than what Judge wants, I think they're going to let him walk. Do you get that same uh, feeling? I certainly did. Rewind to opening day, and it felt like it this had broken per perfectly for the Yankees in that everyone knows we made him a fair offer, uh, and he turned it down. We really tried, and if he had a typical Judge year. It's like, all right, sorry, someone else pay him in his 30s as he breaks down. I think that was the mentality. Uh, now, so many things have gone in Judge's favor between, first and foremost, his performance, but also the fact that the Yankees look like a team. You know, as recently as July, 
I can tell you for a fact, they were hoping to replace Judge with Soto for the next decade. That was like, oh, obviously you'd rather have Soto. Like, duh. That was, I think, what I was picking up from, from then. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, There's just a real trepidation, legitimately, for what that could mean for a player of that height. And some of the injury history is getting hit in the hand or whatever, but some of it is legit, a concern. And so paying that guy to age. So it was sort of like set up perfectly for the Yankees to let him walk and look okay in doing it. Obviously, that's not a ways, as we've said. Um, so many things have broken in Judge's direction. So I, I think that they'll they'll go a lot further than they had previously been comfortable to keep him. I think that Hal Steinbrenner is, is conscious of fan perception, as he should be. These are his customers. They're unhappy. They're booing him when he's on the field. I, I know that bothers him. Is it... <laughs> I know. When he's giving money to charity, he's getting booed. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> I know. Well, I was there. It was kind of like Hal Steinbrenner, boo, boo, boo. And then it was like he's giving two hundred twenty two thousand dollars to the foundation. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> there was a little of that. It we'll was... we'll stop booing to sip our beer for this two the, seconds. Exactly. It was kind of funny, actually. But I know that bothers him because he's human. Sure. Um, so it's like he's gotta do something. Like, all right, fine. I'm keeping Cashman, but I'll, I'll keep Judge. You want me to do this? You want me to do that? Like, he's got to find something to please people. And I do think that as a human and as a businessman whose customers are unhappy right now, these are going to be factors with the Judge thing. And maybe they'll extend beyond what baseball ops would recommend as rational. You, I think you have to. We, we kind of laid this out. It's like you've got Stanton through 2027. You have to trust or I guess cross your fingers. Judge can play the outfield until then. And then you're paying him $38 million a year to be a DH for the next three or four seasons. And you could argue that the Yankees should just be able to eat the last couple of years of a judge deal if he's broken down. That's why you're the Yankees. Exactly. That's Uh, they're the Yankees. They're the same with the Dodgers. That's why the Dodgers are paying all this money for Freddie Freeman and for, um, for Mookie Betts and all of these guys. When you're that level of organization, you have the luxury of doing this. The Kansas City Royals cannot do this. Don't go down to their level and play on their level just because you want to be nice. Let, let me ask you a question, though, as a fan, as a rational fan, would, which I, clearly you are. Would, do you yeah, really clearly. think that making Judge your highest paid player through his 30s is good for your roster construction and team and budget? Do you, is that really what's good for the Yankees? I mean, I mean, obviously, if you're just purely looking at this from a roster construction standpoint, no. But they've made 50 other decisions that are not good for a roster uh, construction standpoint. And I'm not saying making one more bad decision, you might as well because you're pot committed. But what I do know is that if you do not resign Judge that next year, 2023, mm-hmm. it, kiss it goodbye. You're, you're not doing shit uh, next year without Aaron Judge. I hear that. And it's probably you're probably likely right. But doesn't, I, I've also learned in covering this that so much changes in an offseason. You could retool in a way that we don't foresee that that where you could be pretty good. I mean, but yeah, sure. Of course. Um, Obviously, like the way this year's played out, you need him next year too. So yeah, I hear you. I'm not saying I wouldn't sign him. I'm just was wondering what you thought about that because it obviously comes with a lot of risk. Like if he'd hit 37 home runs this year and hit the IL with a hamstring or a quad or something, do you still want him? You know, because that's most other years. I. I still want him at the contract that they offered him on opening day. And I think if he spent a month and a half on the IL this year, he's probably signing that okay. contract in the offseason. I would I'd agree. be okay with it. 
but now but now he's dovetailing into our last conversation i know you're not on the judge mvp mm -hmm. train I, I i i know you wrote something uh last week about shohei otani which i completely understand shohei otani is the best player in baseball considering he does pitch and hit but i think judge is the mvp because of the importance i'm one of these people that believes the mvp should be to an importance of a winning team and i understand not everyone believes that so so i i just see what judge has done for this team this year and i i know what it would be without it and it would it they would be caught passed by probably baltimore at this point no argument there uh on judge's value uh to the Yankees, I, the first thing that I need feel that I need to say about MVP is I really truly believe that the award should not exist. Uh, it 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 doesn't have any definition, which leads to these debates. Was like, well, it has to be for a winning team. No, it doesn't. It has to be war. It has to be this. It has to be that. No one's right. No one's wrong because valuable is nebulous. And I've never voted. Like, and I've I've literally passed up every opportunity as a BBWA member to vote uh, for. Like, I don't want any part of it. And so I wrote about the Otani Judge thing a little tongue-in-cheek, like, just because I was bored that day or something. I don't know. But I actually, I still believe what I said. Like, if if the award has to exist, I just feel that um, the last two years of Shoei Otani have been the best seasons in the history of the game by any player for the simple reason that no one's ever done both jobs. And if you look at the game, it's just it's not just the day you perform. I don't understand how it works because I see in the clubhouses pregame the amount of work that the hitters do to prepare and the amount of work that the pitchers do to prepare. If the pitchers have a four-day routine of throwing and working with a pitching coach and refining whatever didn't work in their last start and doing all the work to get ready for their next start with their bodies and their minds and their repertoire – and the hitters are looking at video all the time and studying the opposing pitchers. And there's not enough time in the day to do both things. It's insane. And the fact is that Ted Williams and Babe Ruth and Ken Griffey Jr. and Willie Mays and none of these guys ever attempted it. And, and obviously Babe Ruth not doing it at the same time is what I mean. Uh, so I just don't see how in the space that he's doing these things well. Okay, I'm watching... MLB Network late last night, and there's the crawl of the league leaders, and Otani's in the top five in ERA and RBI. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it, you're, you're right. <laughs> I, I, I cannot argue with it. You look at his numbers on the offensive side. Excuse me, strikeouts in RBI, but you take my point. Go on. <laughs> you look at his numbers on the offensive side, and you're like, that's one of the best offensive players in baseball. Then you look at his numbers on the pitching side. That's one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. It, like, yeah. there's, there's no arguing with that. Um, and there's no arguing with judges' value to the Yankees. Uh, one of the reasons I don't like these awards is because it forces you, it's a binary choice, it forces you to put someone else down, and I have no nothing but praise for what Judge has done this year. Yeah, they're never getting rid of the MVP award or the Cy no. Young award. I mean, the Cy Young award, though, has a much more clear definition. It is, yes. who is the best pitcher statistically? It doesn't matter if he's on, if like when um, Felix Hernandez uh, one for the Mariners with like a losing record. Didn't he win? Like finally the voters recognized like, oh, you're on a crappy team and you don't have a winning record, but you lead in every other category. Statistically, you were the best pitcher. So that mm -hmm. has a much more clear um, definition. So do you think they need to institute like another award that's more clear for hitters? Like I've always said, give the Babe Ruth Offensive Player Award. Yeah, for sure. I think that would be better. I think there's a lot of problematic things about the award. I think when, um, this is the problem with Cy Young too, when BBWA voting uh, also, 
this isn't your question, but it correlates to contract incentives in a lot of players. Julio Rodriguez's contract has significant money attached to MVP right. finishes. Right. So if I'm covering the Mariners, my and I'm around him every day, my vote for MVP impacts him financially. That's not a good thing. Uh, there's a lot wrong with it, but yes, none of it's going anywhere, um, including MVP. But it, within, if you're going to reform the system instead of blow it up, I think it should be the best player award or the best hitter award rather than valuable. Because all you end up doing is, as I said, it should be for a winning team. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> End of discussion. <laughs> like where you go from there. <laughs> we can talk about the world ending like you brought up earlier. No, uh, you you make such a good point about having guys' contracts being tied to MVP voting. Like I, that kind of just clicked in my head how asinine that is. It's terrible. It's insane. Think about that. Like you, I could blackmail Julio Rodriguez if I covered <laughs> them. You better sign this jersey for my kid, or else I'm not going to vote for you for MVP. Wait, you want that 500 grand? I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying writers do this, but but it, no, I know, I know, but like. That it leaves open that possibility, even if it's a remote possibility. But like, I don't. It, the voting, as we've just established, is subjective, and so like contracts, uh, uh, contract um, milestone, I'm, I'm yeah. losing, incentives, what, and, incentives yeah. Yeah. should not be subjective. They should be okay, black or white. You achieved this, or you didn't. Like, I agree. It's wow. Yeah, that that that's kind of crazy. Um. Anyway. Judges There's a similar thing with war on that by the certain things to war and, and the thing because war, the, the formula for that evolves and everyone believes that it is overvalues defense and teams right, use right. more sophisticated stats than war. So I'm surprised that war is being used for for uh, financial things as and well. And it's different depending on the website you're looking at. So exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's crazy. Um, all right. That's going to wrap it up. Andy, thank you so much for joining me. Always have uh, a great time talking baseball with you. This is always fun to come on. Anytime you guys ask, I'm happy to do it because it's always good talking to you guys as well. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.